Well, hello, Cove Church. It is so great to be back with you today as we continue in our Lenten series called A Desert Calling. And I think that is such an appropriate name for this series because um, all of us through this past year have actually been walking through a desert together, haven't we? This, this desert of COVID-19. We've tried to uh, engage this and understand this and walk through this, the difficulty, this wilderness, and we've been in this together. So I think this series has that much more meaning for us as we're walking through the desert together. I, I'm reminded of about five weeks ago, um, it, it, was, it was this time when it seemed like the COVID bullets were just flying all around when it came to the church and, and the staff. They were just like everywhere. We're like, oh man, that person's tested positive, things like that. And certain staff had tested positive. Some folks thought they were exposed and we were just wrestling through, okay, what do we do with this? How do we make sure uh, what we do is safe as a church? And we ultimately came to the decision that that weekend that we would just have online services that we didn't do in-person services that weekend because we just want to make sure it was safe for all of you and everyone in our community. But it was such a, a difficult decision, that process. What do we say yes to? What do we say no to? And it was just after that, a few days, I think on the Wednesday, that my wife Paula actually uh, tested positive. Her results got back and she was positive. And uh, when she got that result, again, it was on a Wednesday, I remember being like, all I was thinking was, uh, I'm supposed to speak this next weekend. How am I going to do that if, if, if you're sick and I, I can't be around you? So immediately I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, super helpful, thoughtful husband stuff, right? I got to get out of here. You're sick. I got to get out. I got to go. And so you got the Rona, I'm out. And so I was immediately like, like packing up my luggage and, and I called a friend who had a tiny house and, and I'm like, is a tiny house available? Could I, could I stay there for a, a while? Because, uh, you know, Paul, Paul has tested positive. They said, yeah, sure. Go ahead, go to the tiny house. And, and so that's what I did. I, I packed up. I'm like, man, sorry you got the Rona, Paula, but I got to go. And so within a half hour, I was gone. And I was just out of there and I went to this tiny house. And it's a beautiful tiny house that, that my friend has made. And I'm in this tiny house and I'm thinking there, it, it's, it's, it's all quiet in this tiny house. I'm completely alone. The internet's not really working. I'm trying to work and the internet's not working. And I'm thinking about, okay, is this now my life <laughs> for the next two weeks? Like being by myself in this room, just alone, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking, is, and then I'd, I'd end up going back to my house and possibly maybe being exposed again, like perhaps by my son or something, and then having to do this again. And I'm like, that just ain't working. And, and I'm a people person. And so I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this and is this my life? And, and I'm alone in this, this tiny house. And I I, I kid you not, after about three hours, I became like Tom Hanks in Castaway. I was just like, I'm, I've got the volleyball. Wilson, how are you doing? It's great to be with you. I was losing it. And I realized this, this just is not going to work for me. And so much like a kid who has run away from home and figured out it wasn't so great, I packed up all my stuff after three hours and I just went home. And not to try to just be risky, but I'm like, this is not going to work. I just, I have to, I have to be there. I have to, to live. And so, as you can imagine, it wasn't very long that, that I then tested positive for COVID, started to have symptoms just like Paula did, and so did my son. And so we went through our COVID-19 experience, which gratefully was, was not that bad. It was, it was flu symptoms. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was sick. It wasn't fun, but, but it's been so much worse for many other people. 
but we were very thankful to just, just have those kinds of symptoms, and we made it through, and now we're on the other side. Now, I share all of that to, to catch you up, one, but also to identify that, that among the most difficult things through that time and through this season has been figuring out what to say yes to and what to say no to. Now, gratefully, when it comes to decisions for the church, we have a wonderful shepherd team that helps us with that. We have a wonderful executive pastor team that helps with those kinds of decisions. But it's all about what's the best thing to say yes to and what's the best thing to say no to. And that is a picture of what the second Sunday of Lent is all about. Saying yes to the right things and saying no to the wrong things, especially regarding this idea of what it means to say no to sin. See, every day, each of us, in addition to all the other pressures of our life, we are faced with this one incredibly important choice. And it's the choice that we see that as Jesus comes to this earth and he tells us, he tells the people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying you can actually choose to pursue that kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is available to you. You can say yes to that kingdom. While at the same time, we are daily confronted with the temptation to say yes to sin. To say yes to that sin that is inescapably interwoven into the fabric of this world that sin that's knocking on our door every moment of every day. And each of us know about that because each of us have lost those battles, haven't we? We haven't always said yes to the right thing and no to the wrong thing. We've lost those battles with sin in our thoughts and in our behaviors and in our humanity. And because of that, I think, at times in our culture, certainly with individuals, we can at times eventually come to this point where we simply say, why even fight sin? Why even bother to say no? I'm going to lose anyway. Why, why deny it? Why even try anymore? And let me give you just one reason right now to try, one reason to say no to sin, and it's this. We must reject the precepts of sin if we are to avoid the products of sin. Here's what I mean. Life as God intended is outwardly expressed by the fruit of my life. Okay, that's the result of my choices. So I think Galatians 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what should come out of my life. This is the fruit of God's Spirit, the fruit of those choices. We're also told in Romans 6 that the wages or the fruit of sin is death, that that's the end game of sin. That is the product of sin, it's death. So every day we have this choice. Either you can choose death or you can choose life. Jesus is saying you can choose my kingdom or you can choose this world. Every day we have that choice in front of us. As Deuteronomy says, see I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction. We have a choice. We aren't stuck. 
And this becomes so clear then as Jesus comes and walks among the people of this world. And what is it he's telling them? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. You can engage with that kingdom. You have a choice. That's why this is the greatest news ever. Because now we have an option. Something more than just what we see in this life. No, there's so much more than this. We can move beyond the machinations and the misguidance of this world, saying no to that sin that is infused within it. And we can then choose to say yes to God's kingdom, saying yes to God. That's what the second Sunday of Lent points us to, to actually choose to deny sin, because ultimately, my life is the product of my choices. So what will I choose? Jesus has given us a choice to deny the death that is found in sin and embrace the life that is found in him. We have a choice. We aren't trapped. We aren't lost. We aren't alone. And yet sometimes I think we live as though God's kingdom really isn't at hand and as though the only world we should engage in is this broken one. Yet today, we all get to discover the power of no. What does it look like to say no to sin? We're going to explore that question as we look at a passage from the book of Luke, discovering first this truth that denying sin will require a revelation of truth. Let's look at the passage, Luke chapter 9, starting verse 28. Let's read it together. Big voices go. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. I want you to understand first that, that Jesus here is going on a field trip. And he's not going on a field trip with the 72 disciples. He's not going on a field trip with the 12 disciples, but he's going with these three. Peter, James, and John. Now, we'll see Jesus do that from time to time in the Gospels. He'll just take these three and, and go do something with them. Some would say it's because they are Jesus' favorites. I don't think that's how it works. I think we're all Jesus' favorite. I am more inclined to think that he took these three apart and separate because these were the three that needed the most help. I think that's what this really is. Uh, they, they needed the most help, help both in their own struggles, but also because of what was going to be asked of them later in their lives. They needed these experiences because of what Jesus had prepared for them. So we see these three at times in the Gospels get backstage passes, a special insight, unique experiences, not because they are loved more by God, but because they are loved so well by God, which to me is encouraging. 
because it lets me know that God is that specific with all of us. Saying to us, here's what I need you to experience in your life because there's some places that I've called you to go and you need this in order to get there. Many of you, I think, can attest to how God showed up in your life in just the way you needed him to in order to open your eyes to him. How God prepared you for what he had ahead. The way God has shown up to guide you forward miraculously. Those are the experiences that become these anchors that we hold to in our times of doubt. They're the guardrails that keep us on his path. So these three, they get one of those kinds of moments. But even in this moment, we see their frailty. Because this passage tells us that Jesus leads them up on this mountain. What are they going to do? They're going to pray. And as we find out later, they are praying some deep prayers. Meaning these are prayers that involve snoring and drooling. They've gone to sleep. And while they were asleep, <laughs> they discover later that there's some stuff that's been going on while they were asleep, that Christ's appearance changes. He gets real shiny and his clothes are like lightning and his face is transformed. This is what we now call the transfiguration. Now, when you think about this, understand that as this happened, it wasn't as though Jesus was now putting on his glory, rather he was removing the trappings that had hidden his glory, okay? He was taking off the disguise, his earthly disguise. He was removing the, the mask. It was that Scooby-Doo moment. Oh, take off the mask. Hey, it's Mr. Smithers. That's who it really is. That's what's happening here. He's revealing the, the fullness of who he was and is. Now, at the same time, we see Jesus is joined by a couple of friends who are somehow identified as Moses and Elijah. We're not told if there was an introduction. We just know that's who is here with Jesus. And Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah about what he's going to do, his plan to redeem all of us. Now, let me take you on a little side note here. It's interesting here that the presence of Moses and Elijah is really a picture of God's law and God's prophets. Moses representing God's law, Elijah a great example of God's prophets. And it's fascinating that here we see Jesus, the Redeemer, and he's telling the law and the prophets what he's going to do. He's revealing that even God's prophecy and God's law must be informed by God's redemption, God's sacrifice. That at the end of God's story, as has been told up to this point through the law and the prophets, at the end of that story is Jesus and what Jesus is going to do. Jesus himself informs and completes God's law and God's prophecy. Now that's just a little side trip, just a little freebie for you. Let's get back to the story. Finally, Peter, James, and John wake up from their little nap. And they realize that they seem to have missed a few important things in this nap. Have you ever had one of those naps that's like so deep, 
you know, that you wake up and not only are you unsure of where you are, but you're unsure of who you are. You know, those kinds of naps, you know, you're like looking at your hands going, are those mine? Are they attached? It's like going on LSD, but you don't have to. It's just a deep nap. It's like that. It was one of those kind of deep naps. I wonder if that's what it was like for them. But here's, here's the linchpin of this whole section for me as they're waking up. It says, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Here's the key for us. Here's the gem. Here's the revelation, the truth that all of us need. Here it is. Only the fully awake get to see God's glory. Only the fully awake get to see God's glory. And I think of that, and I think of how often in my life, as a Christ follower, as a father, as a pastor, as a husband, how often have I been asleep? Knowing that God is always revealing himself, he's always inviting me to see who he really is, and yet I've missed it so many times. Because I've been asleep. I've missed it in my slumber of saying, well, God, I guess this is as good as life gets. I really shouldn't hope for much more than this. I've missed it in, in, in the coma of numbing myself with this world's offerings, thinking somehow they would satisfy. I've missed it in my hibernation of saying, well, maybe when I get older, I'll really trust God with everything. Maybe then. I've been asleep more often than I want to admit. And yet we see here that it's only the fully awake that get to see God's glory. God, would you awaken me? God, would you awaken us? Too often I've prayed, God, would you show yourself to me instead of praying, God, open my eyes to see you. God, let me awaken. And if there is a prayer that we would pray in this season, could it be that prayer? Wake me up, God. Let me see the fullness of your truth because I'm actually fully awake. As 1 John 3 tells us, but we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So the promise is this, right? That, that when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be awake at that time. Our eyes will finally be open. But God is actually inviting us to be awake now. So the question then is how and when will we awake? What, what's it going to look like? Now, two possible ways that our awakening experience can happen. One way is peaceful, one way is painful. Here's what I mean. Let me give you two examples. I remember camping as a kid. My family had this rickety tent trailer, and we went up camping in the Ochocos, big summit prairie of the Ochocos. Uh, we camped next to this crystal clear creek that was filled with trout. It wound its way through the meadow. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Went to bed in our tent trailer that night, and I remember as we woke up to just that, that morning light, we could hear that peaceful, low mooing of cows. 
because in the night as they were grazing, they had moved into that field that we were in. And they were just surrounding us, just this low, peaceful mooing. It was so cool. It was like the most peaceful, the, the most fun alarm clock you could ever have, just moo, moo. It was just, and that's what you woke up to. And so we spent the morning just having breakfast together, us bacon and the cows. It was, it was so great. It was the best way to wake up. Now compare that awakening to another uh, camping trip I was on about 15 years ago. I'm tent camping with a bunch of friends. We had done a four-mile hike into the Cascades with pack mules, and we had settled by a very beautiful lake there. And in the middle of the night, we heard this otherworldly, terrifying sound. It was the sound of tortured screams. It was the sound of trampling and branches snapping in the underbrush. And our great concern was now the, the mules are under cougar attack. Now there's three of us in the tent that I was in, and it, almost like a cartoon, our heads popped out of the tent. Boop, 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 just out of the tent, out of the fly of the tent. And we're just looking out, trying to look into the darkness, and a couple of them had guns, pistols behind them. Okay, we're ready to go. And because we're all, we're all there, and we're, we're imagining how are we going to address this issue? We thought the mules are now under attack, and we're gonna have to somehow enter this battle with them. We're gonna be fighting a cougar in moments. But then upon, upon further inspection, we realized that it was actually just the mules getting irritated with each other. And they're fighting and kicking one another and they're screaming this mule scream, which is the worst thing you could ever hear in your life, reaffirming what we'd already known, which is mules are stupid and they're a pain. But it was also a very painful awakening. It's not the way you want to wake up. So, question, which kind of awakening do you want with Jesus? The peaceful or the painful? The reuniting of a long friendship or the awkward first meeting of a stranger? Jesus gives us that choice today, which way we're going to wake up. He's saying, will you awaken to me? today. This is the prayer of Lent. God, God, let me see you as you are and let me not be hindered by who I am. Let me not be asleep. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Could we awaken? If there is something that I think has come out of this whole last year to me, it's this understanding that in many ways, for us as an American church, we've been asleep. We've blended comfort with Christ. We've blended, blended decadence with discipleship. We've numbed ourselves with the Novocaine of this world. And we've said then to Jesus, and you let us down. And yet Jesus longs for us to see him as he truly is. To wake up to what he's doing right now in this moment. And for that, we need then a revelation of truth if we are ever to say no to sin.
Because denying sin requires that revelation of truth. We've got to wake up. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Secondly, denying sin requires a realization of offense. Let's continue in the passage. Luke chapter 9, starting verse 33, continuing here. Big voices go. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Okay, we see here Peter is just being so Peter. He's just being so Peter. He sees these great heroes of the faith and then they're starting to go away. And he's like, wait, wait, you don't have to go. We, we could build you some little houses. You could hang out here. We could, we could grill together. It'd be great. You know, John makes a really good hummus. Just, just stay, just be here. They, they, they couldn't take selfies back then. And they were wondering, how can I make this moment last? And it shows us, I, I think, something that we're all tempted to do when God shows up, and it's something we have to guard against. And it's this. We must fight the urge to turn God's movements into our monuments. God, you did it this way then. I want you to keep doing it that way. In fact, I'll build a structure to ensure that it never changes. I'll create a building. I'll, I'll, I'll define a system. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure we know this is the way you do things because this is what church looked like when I was a kid. And so can it just keep looking like that now? Oh, I'll do all the work, God. Don't worry. I'll do all the work, anything to keep me from losing a grip on this miracle. Because deep down, we're afraid that the miracle in front of us is the last miracle we'll ever see. So heaven moves on while we build monuments. And this is our error. This is, this is our sin. And to snap us out of it, what does God do? God just interrupts us. <laughs> We're like in the midst of all that and God just interrupts us just like he did with Peter. He just cuts us off. It says while Peter was speaking, he's in mid-sentence, a cloud appears and covers them and they were afraid. Just totally interrupts him. God catches Peter mid-dialogue, basically saying, Peter, what you're about to say is so far off, I'm not even going to let you finish that sentence. And Peter realizes he's blown it again. And I need to realize the same thing. I have in so many ways in my life tried to control God, or tried to manipulate God, or tried to replace God, or tried to evaluate how good God was at his job. I don't really like how you did that, God. I think I could have done it better. You know, that whole COVID thing, didn't really enjoy that. Would like to have done that a little different. And what I'm really saying to God is I could do what you do better. And in doing so, I make myself God. And in that, I sin greatly. And yet God still loves to interrupt my sin with his truth. Among the important revelations of this season is to fully acknowledge, friend, for all of us, I'm a mess. 
we're all a mess. We're all broken. We're, we're, we're not okay. And that's okay. Uh, that, that we're dust, as Ash Wednesday reminded us of. But it's right into that awareness of our own sin that God actually wants to envelop us and speak to us his truth. He, he wants to get our attention and say, no, you need to hear this. It, it's like when my kids were little, most conversations around the house were just typical, you know, you're kind of yelling into the other room or yelling. It wasn't a yelling house. At times it was, but not always. But you're like, you know, calling out into the other room, hey, can you pick up your Legos here? Or hey, don't shave the dog. You know, that kind of stuff. That, that was just typical parental conversations. But if, if I really needed them to understand something, if something was critically important, I'd stop and I'd get down on my knees and I'd put my hands on their face and I'd say, son, you need to listen to this. What I'm about to tell you is very, very important. I need to interrupt you right now to tell you this. I need you to hear this. That's what God is doing with Peter and the disciples in this moment. And in that moment, they realize they're not in this place because they're sinless. They're here because God is so good to sinners. I, it's obvious, I think, for Peter, they realize their offense. They realize that they need help because they're sinners. And we get to come to that same realization. I need help because I'm a sinner. We begin to deny sin when we first realize that it's a part of us, that it's in us, that we're sinners, and that we need help with that. That's what leads us to start to deny it. When we realize that I, too, am an offender when it comes to sin. That's the second thing. Lastly, denying sin requires from us a recommitment to relationship. Luke chapter 9, the passage continues, starting verse 35. Let's read it. Big voices go. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. God narrows the focus now to this one thing. Listen to Jesus. In that one phrase, God encapsulates what it means for us to be a disciple. Because I can't listen to someone that I'm not close enough to hear what they're saying, and I won't listen to someone who doesn't matter to me. Often I think for us, we can at times make discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, this really complicated thing. And I think we almost do it as an excuse because we can make it so complicated that we might as well then just give up on it. It's just too hard anyway. Okay? Guess what? Discipleship is simple, but it's not easy. But discipleship is simple. Listen to Jesus. Get close enough to hear him and get humble enough to actually do what he says. Here's an example. 
Sometimes I'll hear Paula calling me from another room in the house. I won't be able to hear what she's saying. It's a muffled calling. I just know she's calling me. So I will go to where she is, maybe in her office. And I'll get close enough. And as I get close, she'll say, hey, hey, honey, could you, could you bring me a tissue? Okay, now I'm close enough to hear what she's saying. And now I know what she's asking of me. And because I love her, I go and I get a tissue and I bring it to you. Here's your, your tissue. You know, she's on a phone call or something. Here's your tissue. And I'm hoping that it's, I'm not the reason she needs the tissue. And so here you go. Here's your tissue. I do that because I love her. That is a picture of discipleship. Being a disciple means getting close enough to hear what Jesus is asking and loving him enough to actually do it. That we would stop trying to rule our own life and let Jesus be the one true king of us. Every day, God is inviting us to this, but Lent, I think it certainly brings this into sharp relief. Reminding us to get rid of anything that would keep you from being able to hear Jesus. Get rid of the noise of your life, the static, whether it's the appetites of your flesh or that habit or that distraction. Die to it so you can find your life in Jesus. Let go of some of the things of this world to better lay hold of the things of God's world. Truly allow Jesus to be first in your life, the loudest voice. That's what God said to Peter and James and John. And that's what God is saying to you. Don't just say no to sin. Say yes to Jesus and do so today. Recommit to that relationship. I'll wrap up with this. Uh, as a little kid, I can remember this scenario kind of played out over and over, something like this. My parents would say, boys, I, I want you to clean your room, me and my brother. And say, I want you to go to your rooms and, and clean your rooms. Now, my brother would whine. Uh, he would mention all of the reasons he shouldn't have to clean his room. He would lawyer up at that point. There's uh, several reasons why this is unfair to my life. I just want you, mom and dad, to hear this. This is really not cool that you're asking uh, me of that. And, uh, and now my response would be different. I would say, mom and dad, of course, of course I'll clean my room. In fact, I was thinking of doing that. I'm just so glad you reminded me of that. You betcha, clean your room. Boy, totally get it. Just part of being in this family. Thanks for being such great parents. That's terrific. Now, what would then happen is my brother, grumpily, would then go and clean his room. I would go into my room and I would pick up the first toy I found, which was usually a Star Wars toy. And I would then be captivated by it. And I would think about my other Star Wars toys. And I would ultimately end up completely reenacting the whole battle of Endor. Just you know, a battle going on, the whole thing. I'd get distracted and I just the whole battle takes place. And I would never clean my room. Now, the question, oh scholars, wise friends, which of those two brothers listened to their parents? <laughs> Which of them actually obeyed? The answer, the one who cleaned his room. That is discipleship. That is relationship. That is what God calls us to. It is time 
for us to deny the sins that have kept us from God and to truly embrace the fullness of what God is inviting us to. To actually see God for who God truly is and to see ourselves for who we truly are. What is Jesus asking you to let go of? Do it. What is Jesus asking you to hold on to? Do it. Discipleship is not easy, but it is simple. Listen to Jesus. And the most important time to listen to Jesus is when he asks you to do something that you don't want to do, that you're scared to do, that you're uncertain of. That's the most important time because if I only listen to Jesus when Jesus agrees with what I'm saying, then I'm my own God. Jesus isn't. We must then say to God, you are calling me to listen to your son. And I, right now in this moment, I'm answering. I'm saying yes to Jesus. And if that's you, I, I, I invite you to click that little raised hand button on your screen. If you're saying, that's what I'm saying right now. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I want to listen to him. And in doing so, you're saying, God, I know this is your son. And I'm choosing to do what he says. And in doing so, not only will you be able to then say no to sin, but you will be able to say yes to life. Let's pray together.